I'm Trisha O'Byrne from NUI Galway and this is a podcast from Cleft at the 2019 Galway International Arts Festival. Cleft is a play by Fergal McElheron and Rough Magic Theatre Company, which features two sisters raising a boy together on a harsh, isolated island, somewhere possibly in Ireland and at some ambiguous time period. I spoke to the cast about this wonderful production. I'm Lynn Parker. I'm the director of the show and the director of Rough Magic. And this is Fergal McElheron, who is the writer. Um, so I'm going to have to boot off shortly because I need to get back to Dublin tonight. So really, Fergal... You were the director of Rough Magic of the Theatre Company. Well, OK, there, there's lots of things to answer there. Um, what makes it a, a very Rough Magic play? Well, there's a couple of things, but principally the language the richness of the language yeah. and the, the, the way it has this salty humour and still manages to be massively poetic and, and has a huge profundity while all, always keeping a, a, a very grounded sense of itself. So that feels very, very us. The other thing is that it's uh, an ensemble piece, uh, maybe a very small ensemble, but it, you can see that these actors work incredibly well together. Mm -hmm. So that's very much in our DNA. And the reason I directed it is because I was let by Fergal. Um, I, was, I, was given, I was given the opportunity to do it, and I, I just love the piece. So it's a great pleasure for me to do that. And I suppose directing people when they're not actually into interacting with each other on the stage is probably a completely different process to... Yes, it is. It isn't. It isn't because there's um there is an interaction. I mean, rhythmically, musically, there's a huge interaction between the two sisters, uh, even though they're in different time frames, which I, I hope everybody grasped. But um, yeah, the the and and you sort of feel that it's a conversation with the audience as well. That they're each of them are grabbing your attention and saying, "No, no, listen to me, because it's my version that you you you've got to understand." So here they are, so they can they can uh, explain more about that. We're just talking about the fact of that you technically you don't interact, but of course you do yeah. constantly. Yeah. You know, so uh, maybe you, you, the, uh, so uh, Penny Layton and Simone Kirby, obviously. <laughs> There's one, there's one cast member who has to go to bed. He's too young. Yeah. So, um, so um, I'll probably have to scoot off now and I'll let you take it away. Fergal, I was going to ask you if um, you could tell us a little bit about the genesis of Cleft. Uh, right, because it goes back a long way. I wrote it, the, the first draft was many moons ago. I was working uh, with Penny. I was doing a production of Romeo and Juliet in Shakespeare's Globe. Penny was playing the nurse, I was playing Peter. And uh, as the, the, the long seasons in the Globe, you do like it six months or whatever. So you're hearing the same cue every night. And there comes a point in the play where you just start to hear the cue slightly different. It just pings in a different way. And there was a line, the, the line that in the play that Marcuccio says of um, Romeo that his heart has been cleft in two by the blind bow boy's butt shaft. And one night, that, the word butt shaft, just, it's as if I hadn't heard it before even though we'd been through the whole rehearsal process. And I said to Penny, we were acting the Egypt like, and I said, um, imagine calling your child butt shaft. And we had a great laugh about this. And, uh, and then I started messing going, butt shaft, come in here and wash my legs. And, uh, and then I said, I want to write a play for yourself and Simone. Um, and that line's going to be in it and we'll have great crack. And then as I went on, it started to get darker and darker. And I suddenly thought, no, I'm actually going to do this. And within a year, I had the first draft written. And what started off as this would be great fun, a mad play, 
became darker and darker and the themes just started to cement and it turned into what you saw tonight. So, but it started off as a bit of a laugh in the wings. It's bizarre. <laughs> it didn't start off as um, heavy as it ended up. It kind of took a dark turn. <laughs> he used to say to me, because we're married, um, he used to say to me, uh, yeah. would you just say this for me in a, in a strong, clear accent? Uh, Lay that frigid own, that's for my stones. And I'd say it for him and he brushed up laughing and I had no idea what he was doing. So I thought the play was going to be shut. <laughs> because I thought it was just going to be like ridiculous. And then he gave it to me and I went, oh my God, this is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, because I, I knew that how well the two of them would work together because I'm married to one and I'd worked with Penny extensively. So, and I, I just knew that their energies were so similar. And... So writing it, I had their voices in mind. So all yeah. the twists and turns, it, the, the sky was the limit with what I could do because I knew they were up to the task. So that made it a lot easier for me. Um, it was kind of limitless, which probably is why I kind of allowed so much of the darkness in. And also realizing that you can't hinge a complete play on a weird line. Do you know what I mean? You have to go up with a bit more. But I was determined to keep that there. For a long time, it was called Buttshaft. And we kind of thought, we're not going to get away with this. After the play, you'll realise, oh, that makes sense. But I don't know how many people would have booked a ticket. So uh, only, only like at the 11th hour, it became clear. Just when we realised we were going to be doing all this. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I suppose then back to yourselves, I've got the same question to both of you. Uh, so knowing Curve was obviously new um, and being consented to the play's creation, how does that make your relationship with the characters you play different to the characters in an established play? So, uh, I suppose what, what I was thinking was, does it make for a different kind of ownership of the characters, and did you play a part in shaping the facets of their It's kind of nice to play a character that's never been played yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Nobody has anything to compare it to. No mm -hmm. one's going, oh, well, I prefer it when I'm to play that part. You know, you, you, you get to be the first person to play it. Mm. And, yeah, so sometimes you kind of, you have to trust that he knew what he was doing when he was writing it Just even the names, you know, the names are... Yeah, uh, massive indicators. They exactly, they're into the, the who they are yeah. and who these women are. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. What's the name again, Fia and Fia? Uh, they're, they're Irish um, goddesses. So Fia is like a goddess of war and conflict, and Caring is the, there's a version of Caring uh, in Irish folklore that is the goddess of um, nurturing and motherhood. And so the names are very, very deliberate. I was delighted when I first I hate coming up with names for characters. So I was Googling the Bajazas out of stuff, and then I found these two <laughs> names, and I was like, yes. Because they just sounded really right, and they mean something. So it's not just, you know, what if they could be called anything. It, it, there's actually something in it, yeah. But yeah, we've talked basically for 10 years. Yeah, it was 10 years ago when I came up with the idea, yeah. like when we worked together. So it's been cooking for a long time. Yeah. And we cooked a baby as well, just yeah. so he could be in the place. <laughs> yeah. It's a very, very dark family affair. <laughs> I'm sure there's therapy coming somewhere. Else. <laughs> and obviously, Dara and Lodge plays a huge part in the play. I kind of felt like your character, Penny, was the. Um, she was the one that you followed emotionally, if you like, because she was okay at the beginning of the play and she got kind of more and more and more. Yeah. Traumatised as the play went on. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, it's, it's the wrong foot, you really. I mean, not that that yeah. would be the intention of when you first started out writing it, but um, with K 
Kareen and with Lynn's direction as well, Lynn very much pushed me to be absolutely on the front foot and very much like the people person, desperate for, desperate for company. She's not getting much out of this one at home, you know? Even when they do talk to each other, I don't think she gets much out of fear and I don't think, you know, there's much joy in the house. That's why Butchaf is the, just such a, it's a, he's a revolution, you know? And it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant, brilliant thing for her. She has something to invest in yeah. and she has a purpose. It gives her a purpose. Obviously, there's tragedy in how she lost her legs and, you know, that's fantastical and awful. Um, but, um, yeah, the journey towards her emotional journey throughout the play, I guess, it's really hard to articulate when you've just sort of done it yeah. for all this time. You know, when we, we've lived with this play for 10 years, or various incarnations of it for 10 years, and I feel like I should be really erudite and articulate about it, and I find it really hard when people ask me what the play's about. Because also you don't want to give spoilers when people mm. haven't seen it. Yeah. But um, but it's it it's intensely personal for these two women, and there's something about sharing that not with each other, but with you people um, that is. Very unique, I don't know, and it's uh, yeah. She, you, you start off thinking she's sunshine, and you know she's she's the mammy. She's definitely yeah. the kind of mammy sort of figure, and then you find out she's a murderer. Actually, mm -hmm. she has, she's killed a man, mm -hmm. and um, it's you know it, to find out that this woman that you meet in this bright coloured dress with this sunny disposition is capable of that kind of act. I think, you know, and obviously that's much later on during the play. The way that she talks about how, how she lost her legs is a massive indication of how there's, there's just cover. I just think there's so mm. much cover and repression and hiding um, from herself, from everybody else, um, but also from the behind the hand, you know, in the town. Um, and then this descent into truth, which ultimately she knows, like she knows this, she knows what she, when she runs off at the end, runs off in her wheel, um, dear me, um, uh, when she goes off at the end to, to find, to try and find Butcher, I don't think, it's not a big leap in her imagination that, of what has gone on with fear and the child, I think, you know, that, it feels like that, it's almost just kind of here, at the start of the play, and as the play goes on, it kind of comes through, and then it's there. I don't know a better way to talk about it than sort of wishy-washy emotionally. I'm sorry, it's, no. I'm not being. I, I think she as well has spent so much time and energy doing that thing of no, it's grand, everything's grand, yeah. it's fine, it's grand, and not wanting to give breath to the dark voices, and not wanting to acknowledge how ugly the world can be, and how horrible their life has been at various stages and the sense of abandonment and I think the child coming along just put the biggest plaster on that and it was just this everything's fine okay. now because love has come into the house and there's no greater love than than a child and all this and I think like you say the the, the mammy thing is huge 
and she has taken on the mammy mantle for all its cliches and all its uh, everything that someone needs that to be who needs to be a mammy and then it gets to the point where she just can't there's no denial left because she has seen how much fear has been darkening and she's and and like you say she knows why she's doing it she says herself that she sees that look on the boy's face so she sees it too she just won't acknowledge it because she has that distance of not having been um she's not the biological mother she could put all the mammyhood on it once removed do you know what i mean and and i think that's that's a massive journey so we when we meet her she's full of the jamesy donald down below and oh geez i have to get the dinner ready and herself's driving me mad and it's all in the week that i run off this morning and it just gets darker and darker and darker and she's just losing her grasp on uh the keeping the blinkers up yeah. do you know what i mean yeah. and i think that's that's a big thing Thanks, what he said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just maybe ask one final question and then we look it up. Um, I was going to ask you Simone about the uh, concept of the island and um, the play removed from an everyday routine, how it, um, and it's set in a time lapse as well, and time isn't, mm-hmm. you know, it's not linear or anything like that. So how does that free you in the way you portray, portray Thea? Um, she's kind of very dark. Mm-hmm. She's got a bit of a D, uh, yeah. probably. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, so did you have to almost invent the character for her? You sort of have to throw other social norms out the window and have these people be different. And, and from the very beginning, Karen is really friendly in bringing the audience in. Yeah. You have to allow Fia to not do that, mm-hmm. to not care what people think of her, um, and to be as dark and as fucking weird as she wants to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because she doesn't interact with people. Um, which makes people odd, <laughs> you know, mm. in their own, when you put them in with everybody else it does, but their yeah. their unique oddness is lovely in its, in, in its own way, so. But it's rounded on areas of it, you know, yeah, it's things. very bleak, yeah. where they live, yeah, exactly. you know, to open up with the dead cow that's been rotting in yeah, the gully, yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's a bleak, hard place, an island yeah. like that, it's just full of bluster and wind. Yeah. And well, you pointed out to me, I remember quite early on, the amount of death. Yeah, that's on the island. Like it starts off with the dead cow, and there's the, you know, the gaddy's buried under the tree, and Pawdy. you know, Pawdy's buried under the. And I hadn't, as I was writing, I hadn't deliberately gone. Oh, I better stick someone else in the ground. It wasn't that. It was just the 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 island. You, I think you said to me, this island is built on bones, mm. which I thought was great because I hadn't consciously thought, oh, that would be a great thing. I'd stick that in. Everyone would think I'm intelligent. It was just that's the way it was going. So yeah, the island is oppressive, yeah, yeah. and it always has been. You know, nowadays yeah. we're all in therapy for that kind of stuff. They just get on with things, but they they get in. It gets into their bones, and they and they're isolated. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I wonder how it married together, just and the way it darkens and it gets more and more foreboding towards mm, the end. I know. Really moving. I felt yeah, really worked. Um, so I'm going to open it up to the audience to hear if, if somebody has questions. Does mother and child die together? I personally think they do. Yeah. I didn't want to to put in a definitive. Uh, I like because a lot because not everyone thinks they do. We've talked to people. My dad will not accept that they do at all. <laughs> she says but that's probably because of his grandson. Them. She said exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. And uh, so I think that they go over together. Yeah. But some people have have said after the show going. 
oh Jesus, thank God, I thought it was going to take a dark turn at the end. And you're going, what? Um, and, and people, like my mum was like, oh, she's, she's gone over the cliff completely with him. And my dad was like, oh no, no, they're just going to go skimming stones or something. And I, I really like that. I like that the, it's, I, I didn't want to kind of go for them to walk off in the air, ah, splash. I didn't want to sew it up. I like the idea of, I, I just like, I love when I go and see something or when I read something and I have to figure it out a wee bit when I leave. I think that's what we aim to achieve as opposed to here it all is sewn up and I take it away and you can just have your cup of tea and you don't never have to think about it again. I think it's, it's worth having to think about it. But yes, I think they go over the cliff. Did anyone think they didn't? Or are you just all really dark? <laughs> you, you, you said that they didn't. You were, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, he's I, very cute. <laughs> I wish they didn't. But I, I think though she's quite so traumatized. That fear is. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that I think, it's, and and the fact that she sees his face, you, you know, in the child. Yes. And I, I just think that it's kind of a protective thing really for the kid that she doesn't want to see him grow up. Grow yeah, up. yeah, because she she does. And also fear that he would do. Yeah, well, she says she, she was afraid of the man, the man would make him, I, I don't even the know. The man that made him would make him. Yeah, so there is that, it's the sins of the father, it's the, you know, it starts off with we're full of fossils. Yeah. yeah, so it's not, that's cool, because it's not just a murderous intention, it's, no, 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 it's, no. it is kind of, it's, kind of it's nurturing in its own way, and the fact that she says I'm not going to abandon, of all the things that I'm going to be guilty of, that's not going to be I'm it. Not my mother. Yeah, because they've been abandoned no, by both parents. Because they would be together. Yeah. Being yeah. Sorry, that's my yeah. interpretation. No, absolutely, and and all of that is valid. And not wanting to accept it is equally valid, I think. I think if you if you know what I mean, because that's why I didn't sew it up too neatly. I like the idea of people being sure. convinced that it's not going to, she's not going to go over the cliff with them. Sure. It's more common <laughs> First of all, he wrote that speech because I can't skin, and he can, yeah. and he did that to take the piss out of me. Because there's no teacher, because she doesn't want to learn, and I, I, I thought, want to learn. I'm going to get a lesson in. Um, but we, 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 it was in the middle of the play, yeah. and Fergal wanted there to be, when someone, and we, we all know we've heard the story, when someone decides to kill themselves, they get quite peaceful at the mm. end because they're resolute and they're and the skinning speech for her is just her I'm gonna teach you how to skin before yeah. I go. Mm. So it is a beautiful speech, but it's meant to be quite that quite mm. peaceful. Mm. And it is her nurture thing, it's what it's it's what she does with him. It is the mammy time she spends with him. She takes him down to the cove and she skims stones with him. Mm. And I thought it was a lovely way for us to last see her because I didn't want to vilify her. Yeah. for her actions and I wanted the audience not to see her going off all stumpy stumpy child killer I wanted them to see her in in that way of going oh wow that's I kind of enjoy your company do you know what I mean but also it's worth saying that the two sisters are quite different she yeah. has a different relationship with them absolutely then the other sister who is the protective one yeah and yeah there's, there's just a 
very different way than they mother. Very much so, yeah. We, we were saying as well that when you, when, you're, when you have someone in your life who's very emotional and very big and feels everything in a big way, you get smaller and smaller and smaller and quieter. And we kind of felt that's the dynamic between the two of them. Karina's very expressive and very big and very, you know, very good at t saying how she feels and, and, and it's made Fia like quieter and I'm not gonna say how I feel at all, I'm just gonna become this little, uh, and I, won't, I won't share anything. And she's got, and there is an element of self-righteousness that can creep into the, the whole, uh, I've seen it, uh, people who take on the mantle of being the perfect mammy, or I, I'm sure dads do it as well, but I've seen it in other mammies, and it's that thing of like, oh no, no, you, don't, you know what you want to do there now, and, and, and I think... As a mammy. As, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah. thing, as a mammy myself, as a mother myself, I... And I think Karen very much takes that on board, and that's suffocating to to someone who didn't want to be a mum or who had motherhood thrust on her, which is a big thing, you know. So go ahead. What gave me a, a slight doubt as to whether Fia did jump is she left her sister behind, mm. and there were several points where we saw her tenderness, how she protected her sister from her father's suicide, yeah, and yeah. And then in the end, she left her, even though her sister was very vulnerable. And it, I liked that doubt. Yeah. yeah. It was really funny that it didn't seem to be mentioned. I suppose Fia was just so she, she absorbed in what was happening to herself. Then. When she says, uh, the tiger is back, he'll take all of me and the rest of Karine, he'll finish us both off. I, I think she's afraid that the man that he's going to become is going to become worse for both of for them. For both of them, yeah. Uh, and I, I think that, it's, I mean, uh, when I think about what the next few hours oh. for Karine, it breaks my heart. Oh, yeah. Just they never come home. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just dreadful. But yeah. I think she's so traumatized. She can't yeah. care yeah. properly for anyone. It, it becomes almost an, an act of cruelty in, <coughs> in a play that the, the, there's cruelty described, but there's no real acts of cruelty. And it is an act of cruelty in a sense. But then when anyone does something so traumatic as take their own life or whatever, it's, it's an there act of cruelty else. to the people yeah. that are left behind, yeah. Yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. That shit means never getting plucked, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a comment rather than uh, a question. Um, I really liked the way that Karen took over the mothering duties, uh, although she wasn't biological mother. Mm. I mean, because Lynn, when I put that in, Lynn said to me, is, is that possible? And I was like, yeah, I'd read stuff yeah. where, where women have produced milk. It's not just wet nurses either. Yeah. No, not yeah. just yeah. wet nurses. I'm a set mom as well, so I, 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 you know, in terms of just what you're saying about being an adopted mom, um, that it, it, I mean, I didn't breastfeed my stepson. Yeah, and, and, and that, that you like yeah. it. Yeah. But I just thought it was really brave. Yeah. Uh, to put that in. Yeah, and it goes that far. Push it that far. Which is possible, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, there's also like, some frustration when she says he trusts her. So it's like, you know, you think she's going to be dark and pretty. Yeah. And the, the little boy looks kind of fascinated by her. The 
craves her. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think if you've got one one person in a relationship going, my boy, my boy, my boy, my boy, and the other one, it's like a cat. You know, like when people who are not bothered about cats, I, I love cats and I'm always like, be my friend, be my friend, be my friend. And my husband, they always love him because he's just not bothered. Yeah. You know, and it's a, it's a bad analogy, but it's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's that. Well, you see little boys who, whose dads don't really pay them any attention, yeah. and they're, they're craving it, you know, and I feel like she's the more paternal force in the house. Yeah. And he's. And he and the skin and stones thing. He probably loves it. It's a scrap off the table, but it's it's something for him yeah, as well. Isn't it? I I I love that, that that there's a bit of venom in the way you do it when you say he's it's pathetic. Mm. It, that there's a little she bit of begrudgery in it. Yeah. yeah. She comes a little bit like the male figure in the family as well. Yeah. Because yeah. she's more detached. Yeah. She doesn't accept the boys. Mm. Yeah. And that's the, the the choice to have her wear. But possibly her father's old clothes as well to make the, that masculinity yeah, thing to hide behind, and they they all they always call him our father. Yeah. Um, you know we don't know anyone who names them. That's really except for two of these. And Aiden the horse. And Aiden the horse. Lynn invited me into the room, but I, I've worked with Lynn over the years, and like, basically, at the risk of sounding all a bit wanky about it, th this was my dream team, th those two and Lynn, was who I always, you know, wanted. And when Lynn showed an interest and started championing it, I didn't need to, we, Lynn was very generous with inviting me in, and there was a few times when I'd be kind of going, this is what I was intending a little bit, but, uh, but she, uh, Lynn was all over, she was like, drawing stuff out of it that, I'll happily take the credit for, but have you been crossing the line? You know what I mean? So, yeah. Anyone else have a question? Um, can I ask about um, somebody mentioned bravery, and I don't want to ask Virgil, but you've, you've written a play for two female characters, one of whom is disabled, mm. and you've written about very um, difficult issues. And you said that the play began as a response, kind of funny response. Mm. Yeah. Ten years. How, how as a writer did you feel, um, as the play darkened for yourself? I suppose it must have been to an extent a surprise to you. And, and how did you, how did you, how did you come to write these about these things? I think for me, the 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 more I realised I was going to really go for this and and write it, I got to know the characters more. And I don't know whether this is because I've I'm an actor first. And it's the honouring the character has always been a big thing because as an actor, you take on a role and you invent their backstory and you work out stuff and you, you want that to be you know, respected. So it was always about the characters for me and the story kind of developed around what was happening to them. And so issues like the, the, the motherhood became a... The, the more I was thinking about the characters, the more I thought they, they deserved something more than just a bit of a romp and I think I do have leanings towards darker stuff anyway my stuff tends to go a bit dark be it real comedic dark or just flat out dark and then um, so as it developed more and more I started really embracing how dark it was going and then it just kind of it it just became this thing again this may sound real wanky but 
it just started to develop more and more as they developed more and more and as their relationship started to kick off and then when when i come up with an incident the fallout of that would dictate a lot of things and then the, the whole thing with um Karen being in the wheelchair it it wasn't so much that i wanted to address anything about disability it was more it was almost metaphorical it was like her just being unable to 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 do what she wanted to do in the fullness and to have gone through that as a child to be cut off literally um and to see the the twin sister be able to be free and run and all that kind of stuff and just what that would do to a dynamic and then that became a very practical thing when it came to what happened at the Hawthorne tree and how helpless she felt and then it, it also served a purpose of something the boy they can bond over that the boy comes home every day and washes her legs and then the, the pride in the legs became a thing so, so the, the 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 wooden legs became more and more as the play developed it wasn't just well it's it's a disability thing that the legs became something they became a symbol they became uh, a necessary thing throughout the play and um, that she was determined like when she says i wouldn't leave them dirty if they were flesh and bone i'm not going to leave them dirty and that practical thing of i can't feel when i bump into things and also just the the struggle of her going up and down to get the groceries and the news and all the gossip and she determined to do it you know and the care the father took over making the legs, the fact that he made two sets, he, he anticipated where, where this was going. Do you know what I mean? So it kind of gave me all that space to play with. So they became a device in a way. Um, and the darkness, the darkness just kind of happened. I think in order to have themes this huge, um, unless you just go completely bejesus funny, which I just don't think is in me. Um, I just like the darker end of humour and stuff like that and how because I think when, when the stakes are raised high enough absurdity comes in really quickly um, the most dramatic events at some stage they become absurd because what we're capable of doing to each other as people and what we're capable of surviving as humans becomes absurd in a way and, and that absurdity became the funny stuff and the dark stuff I mean Dee Dee Flannery with the you know the butchered eye I mean it's horrible but it's also a nice wee comic turn because of how absurd it is uh, what happened to her. Do you know what I mean? So there was, I hope that makes sense. But it was all that kind of stuff. Cool. How do you feel now? Was the fridge a metaphor for death or a coffin? Because it just looks like a coffin from where I sit. Again, it kind of became that a little bit. The fridge, I can't actually remember. Lynn was the one who wanted to... The fridge on the stage, the yeah. Initially, I didn't have the fridge being present. It was just referred to. I can't remember how or why or when I came up with the idea of the fridge. I don't know if it was... It was quite early on. It was, was early. It was really early, because I was saying to her, yeah. say that fridge is for my stones. I don't know why. I just liked the idea of this big... It maybe unconsciously it was that yeah, thing of a you know a coffin. Yeah, it really is, and the fact she buries the father's yeah. boots in it. And so some people have thought that from the beginning the child was in it. Right? Yeah. Did you? No, no. See, that's so much darker than where I went. <laughs> you know I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, we're not that. You're. That. Yeah, I'll, I'll just suggest something, and then you guys gotta go. Twisted mind. 
Very We're going to Kilkenny. So we've got a, what, a week and a bit off after here. Then we go to Kilkenny. And that's it for the while. I'd love for it to go a bit further afield, but we'll see. Thank you so much.